Hello and welcome to episode 353 of the Our Lady of Fatima podcast. It is my pleasure to be with you this morning. My name is Terrence M. Stanton. We are recording on Monday, November the 14th, 2022, in the year of our Lord Jesus Christ, continuing to take a look at Fatima Islam and Our Lady's Coming Triumph, which was a booklet adapted from a talk given by Mr. Matt Gaspers. You might know him from his work with Catholic Family News. This originally came out in 2016, and it's published at the Fatima Center, located at Fatima.org. This section begins with, Thus Says the Quran. And Mr. Gaspers writes, In order to understand the basic teachings of Islam, we need to briefly survey some key passages from the religion's most authoritative source. I still remember my first encounter with the Quran during my first year of college. Following the September 11th attacks, I developed an interest in Islam and finally decided to examine the Quran for myself. What I found was surprising and in many ways shocking in light of having been greatly misled regarding the true nature of Islam. As I read, I discovered that the Quran not only contains a large amount of borrowings from the Bible, in other words, plagiarism, as St. Thomas observed, as well as insertions of various apocryphal texts riddled with heresy and blasphemy, it also encourages, even commands, an attitude of contempt toward non-Muslims, including Jews and Christians. Time will not permit me to share with you all of the relevant verses, but I will provide a sampling of texts along with some brief commentary. Roman numeral one, concerning biblical and historical truths, part A, the Holy Trinity and incarnation of our Lord. Due to the influence of Waraka bin Nafal, together with various other heretical groups present in Arabia at the time, Muhammad profoundly misunderstood the reality of the Blessed Trinity, as well as the identity of our Lord Jesus Christ. He was led to believe that the word Trinity refers to Allah, Jesus, and Mary. And further, that Jesus, though a great prophet, was only human and not divine. As a result, the Quran flatly contradicts the New Testament regarding the triune nature of God, one divine nature in three divine persons, and the incarnation of the Word, second person of the Trinity. Let's now take a look at some example texts from Abdullah Yusuf Ali's English translation of the Quran, one of the true translations used and recommended by Mr. Spencer. They do blaspheme who say Allah is one of three in a trinity, for there is no God except one Allah, if they, meaning Christians, do not desist from their word of blasphemy, truly a grievous penalty will befall them. Surah 5.73 O people of the book, commit no excesses in your religion, nor say of Allah anything but the truth. Christ Jesus, the son of Mary, was no more than a messenger, meaning prophet of Allah, so believe in Allah and his messengers. Say not, Trinity, desist. It will be better for you, for Allah is one Allah. Glory be to him. Far exalted is he above having a son. Surah 4, 171. One day Allah will gather the messengers or prophets together and ask, what was the response you received from men to your teaching? They will say, we have no knowledge. It is you who know in full all that is hidden. Then Allah will say, O Jesus, the son of Mary, recount my favor to you and to your mother. Behold, I strengthen you with the Holy Spirit so that you did speak to the people in childhood and in maturity. Behold, I taught you the book and wisdom, the law and the gospel. And behold, you made out of clay, as it were, the figure of a bird with my permission, and you breathed into it, and it became a bird by my permission. And behold, 
Allah will say, O Jesus, son of Mary, did you say unto men, worship me and my mother as gods beside Allah? He, Jesus, will say, glory to you. Never could I say what I had no right to say. Had I said such a thing, you indeed would have known it. You know what is in my heart, though I do not know what is in yours. You alone are the knower of things hidden. Surah 5, 109, 110, and 116. As you have just heard, the Jesus of the Quran is no more than a prophet. One, I might add, who is inferior to Muhammad? How contrary this is to the truth of the gospel and Our Lady's Fatima message. Part B, the crucifixion, death, and resurrection of Christ. Next, we move on to one of the most blatant errors found in the Quran. In the following passage, the crucifixion, death, and resurrection of our Lord are all denied. They said in boast, we killed Christ Jesus, the son of Mary, the messenger of Allah. But they killed him not, nor crucified him. Yet so it was made to appear to them, and those who differed therein are full of doubts with no certain knowledge, but only conjecture to follow, for of a surety they killed him not. Nay, Allah took him up to himself. Surah 4, 157 and 158. This passage exposes not only a Gnostic influence, a heretical sect that arose during the early to mid-2nd century and denied the true humanity of Christ, i.e. that he possessed a real physical body. It also exposes Muhammad's profound ignorance of the historical record. Even apart from the New Testament, there are impartial, corroborating testimonies to the crucifixion and death of our Lord under Pontius Pilate in the works of Josephus, a Jewish historian, circa AD 37, and Tacitus, a Roman historian, circa AD 56. And furthermore, the allegations that Christians are full of doubts and have only conjecture to follow is simply ridiculous. The texts of the New Testament make it abundantly clear that Jesus was crucified under Pontius Pilate, died on the cross, was buried, rose from the dead on the third day, his body glorified, and ascended into heaven on the 40th day after his resurrection. All of these historical events were prophesied hundreds of years before Jesus was born, as he himself taught. And our belief in these events is hardly a matter of conjecture. We have literally tens of thousands of ancient New Testament manuscripts, many of which show little to no textual differences that confirm the verity of those words in which thou hast been instructed. Luke 1, verse 4. Roman numeral 2, concerning Jews and Christians. Switching gears a bit, I now want to cover what the Quran has to say about the people of the book, the standard Quranic title for Jews and Christians since both groups possess valid, but according to Muhammad, corrupted scriptures. You see, when Muhammad began preaching to the Jews and Christians in Arabia and was largely unsuccessful in converting them, he decided they must have tampered with their scriptures and either removed or twisted the supposed numerous passages that foretold his coming. Mr. Spencer explains this false accusation from the Islamic perspective. It was only the sinful obstinacy of the Jews and Christians that prevented them from acknowledging Muhammad's prophetic status. Indeed, that sin was so great that ultimately it led them to alter their scriptures in order to remove all references to Muhammad. The idea of Jews and Christians as sinful renegades from the truth of Islam will become a cornerstone of Islamic thought regarding non-Muslims. Here's what the Quran has to say about the people of the book. O oh, you who believe, Muslims exclusively, do not take the Jews and the Christians for your friends and protectors. They are but friends and protectors to each other. And he among you who turns to them for friendship is of them. Verily, Allah does not guide an unjust people. Surah 5.51 Fight those who do not believe in Allah, nor the last day, nor hold forbidden 
that which has been forbidden by Allah and his messenger, Muhammad, nor acknowledge the religion of truth, Islam, even if they are of the people of the book until they pay the jizya with willing submission and feel themselves subdued, Surah 9.29. Those in the church who are so bent on dialoguing with Islam must understand that Christians and Jews will never be accepted as equals by Orthodox Muslims in any discussion. Roman numeral three concerning jihad. And now we come to arguably the most controversial content found in the Quran, the passages dealing with jihad or holy war. The word itself literally means struggle in Arabic. Many people claim that jihad primarily refers to the inner spiritual struggle of each individual believer. For example, in 2007, an international group of Muslim scholars and clerics produced a document called A Common Word Between Us and You, which interestingly enough was released on October 13th, anniversary of the miracle of the sun at Fatima. It was first and foremost a response to Pope Benedict XVI's famous Regensburg Address, delivered the previous September 2006. During that speech, the theme of which was the relationship between faith and reason, the Holy Father quoted the following words of Byzantine Emperor Manuel II, Paleologos, who reigned from 1391 to 1425. Show me just what Muhammad brought that was new, and there you will find things only evil and inhuman, such as his command to spread by the sword the faith he preached. In response, the signers of A Common Word argued that the essential message of the Quran is the same as the Bible, love of God and neighbor. In other words, Christianity and Islam are equally loving and peaceful. The major problem with this claim, however, is that it agrees neither with the Quran nor the entire history of Islam. Muhammad himself, the perfect model in all things, according to the Quran and Islamic tradition, exemplified during his life that jihad is primarily the bloody struggle against non-Muslims in order to establish worldwide Islamic rule. Dr. Thomas F. Madden, professor of history at St. Louis University and expert on the Crusades and Muslim-Christian conflict, explains the Islamic rationale for jihad in his book, The New Concise History of the Crusades. After the conquest of Arabia, Muhammad envisioned the continued expansion of Islam. Indeed, expansionism working hand-in-hand with jihad became an important component in the Muslim worldview. Traditional Islamic thought divided the world into spheres, the Dar al-Islam, abode of Islam, and the Dar al-Harb, abode of war. The Dar al-Islam consisted of all those lands directly ruled by Muslims and subject to Islamic or Sharia law. Dar al-Harb, which included the Christian world, was the place in which Muslims were enjoined to wage jihad against unbelievers, capturing their lands and subjecting their peoples. In this way, it was believed that the Dar al-Harb would shrink and the Dar al-Islam would correspondingly increase until it covered the entire world. To help visualize Islamic efforts toward global conquest, Dr. Bill Warner, founder and director of the Center for the Study of Political Islam, produced a short video entitled Jihad versus Crusades. In his video, Dr. Warner contrasts the aggressive expansionism of Islamic Jihad with the defensive and limited nature of the Crusades. Using what he calls a dynamic battle map, he progressively shows a total of 548 jihad battles fought throughout the Mediterranean and beyond, spanning from the life of Muhammad to the year 1920, around 1,300 years. He then shows how there were a total of only 16 crusader battles fought throughout a very modest portion of the Middle East and covering all of about 160 years. In sum, as Dr. Warner asserts, 
There simply is no comparison between jihad and the Crusades. And on that note, here's a sampling of Quranic passages that call upon Muslims to wage war against non-Muslims. Remember your Lord inspired the angels with the message, I am with you. Give firmness to the believers, Muslims exclusively. I will instill terror into the hearts of the unbelievers. Smite them above their necks, meaning decapitate them, and smite all their fingertips off them. It is not you who slew them, it was Allah. Surah 8, 12 and 17. If you've ever wondered why beheading is the preferred method of execution for groups like ISIS, now you know. But when the forbidden months are past, then fight and slay the pagans wherever you find them and seize them, beleaguer them, and lie in wait for them in every stratagem of war. But if they repent, meaning convert to Islam, and establish regular prayers and practice regular charity, then open the way for them, for Allah is oft forgiving, most merciful. Surah 9, 5. Consider for a moment the irony of this passage. Muslims are commanded to fight and slay, literally decapitate, all who refuse to convert to Islam. Yet non-Muslims are exhorted to practice regular charity. Fighting is prescribed for you, all able-bodied Muslims, and you dislike it, but it is possible that you dislike a thing which is good for you, and that you love a thing which is bad for you. But Allah knows and you know not. Surah 2, 216. Not equal are those believers who sit at home and receive no hurt, and those who strive and fight in the cause of Allah with their goods and their persons. Allah has granted a grade higher to those who strive and fight with their goods and persons above those who sit at home. Unto all in faith has Allah promised good, but he has distinguished those who strive and fight above those who sit at home by a special reward. Surah 4.95 Let those fight and the cause of Allah who sell the life of this world for the hereafter. To him who fights in the cause of Allah, whether he is slain or gets victory soon, we shall give him a reward of great value. Surah 4. 74. Verses like this last one give us some insight as to why some Muslims are willing to strap explosives to themselves or hijack jetliners and fly them into skyscrapers. Tragically, they are brainwashed to believe that by committing such heinous acts of murder-suicide, they will receive a reward of great value. The next section is entitled, Heaven's Peace Plan Revealed. I trust that after hearing what I've shared thus far, we can all agree that a peaceful coexistence with Islam is not possible. No amount of political correctness, diplomacy, interreligious dialogue, or other human efforts can change the content of Islamic doctrine or the fervor with which it is practiced by millions of devout Muslims the world over. As long as Islam remains on earth, there will be no lasting peace for those who refuse to follow its false prophet. There is but one solution. Islam must be brought to an end. Many in the world would likely say that such a feat is impossible, but they forget that with God all things are possible. Matthew 19, 26. As our Lord says, Our Heavenly Father, who knoweth all things before they come to pass, Daniel 13, 42, foresaw the scourge of Islam, a work of the devil, who is the father of lies and a murderer from the beginning, John 8, 44. In response, the Lord has revealed to several holy souls over the course of several centuries that he will indeed bring an end to Islam. For as it is written in the book of the prophet Amos, the Lord God doth nothing without revealing his secret to his servants, the prophets. Amos 3, 7. Prophecy is a powerful reminder that God is all-knowing and is able to reveal from the beginning the things that shall be at last. And from ancient times, 
the things that as yet are not done, saying, my counsel shall stand and all my will shall be done, Isaiah 46.10. It is a precious gift of insight into his eternal perspective and perfect plan, a gift that should be received with reverence and discernment. As St. Paul says, extinguish not the spirit, despise not prophecies, but prove all things, hold fast that which is good. 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 19 through 21. Private revelations, of course, add nothing to the deposit of faith. The truths God has publicly revealed through scripture and tradition is necessary for salvation. But this fact certainly does not mean the faithful should disregard them. On the contrary, we would be very foolish to do so. The next section is prophecies for the latter days. Over the past several years, one of my primary study interests besides Islam has been what Holy Scripture sometimes refers to as the latter days or last days, that is the era leading up to the glorious second coming of Christ. My interest in this topic has led me to read several interesting resources, including two books that provide a concise yet thorough look at authentic Catholic teaching concerning the end times. Those books are Catholic Prophecy, The Coming Chastisement by Yves Dupont and Prophecy for Today a summary of the Catholic tradition concerning the end of time era by Edward Connor. Both of these works present a large collection of prophecies from reliable Catholic sources together with each author's commentary and cover such themes as the increased prominence of Mary prior to the second coming, the rise of a great Catholic monarch and the reign of an extraordinarily holy Pope. The definitive destruction of Islam is foretold in the context of these specific themes. But before we explore the prophetic texts themselves, it is worth our time to consider the testimony of Mr. DuPont regarding, excuse me, I have to scroll up here, regarding the importance of prophecy. In the introduction to his book, he states, Indeed, prophecies are for our edification. They cast a light on many problems. They warn us against errors. They prepare us for dangers to come, and they are a manifestation of the power of God. At the same time, they are an encouragement and a consolation. The current crisis in the church and in the world was predicted long ago, but the final victory of the Christian forces is also predicted. This is an encouragement and a consolation. I'm now going to share with you a small sampling of the prophecies quoted by DuPont and Connor in their respective books, some of which are found in both beginning with those that foretell the increased prominence of Our Lady in the latter days. This period of time is popularly referred to as the Age of Mary and seems to be intertwined with the reign of the great monarch and angelic Pope. And for that very intriguing information, I invite you to tune in tomorrow to the Our Lady of Fatima podcast for the exciting conclusion of Mr. Gasper's book. Let's take a look, my friends at Helping Autism Through Learning and Outreach, located at halo-soma.org. That's halo-soma.org. This is a resource to help folks with non-speaking autism. If you have friends or family members who are non-speakers, please check out this website. It will help you greatly and it will help them greatly. Also, Please listen to episode 277 of the Our Lady of Fatima podcast if you haven't already done so. I interviewed my sister and one of my precious nieces about RPM, Rapid Prompting Method, which has helped so many folks who are afflicted with non-speaking autism to communicate. 
We believe that communication is a human right. And just as sign language was initially frowned upon when it was initially introduced, RPM has been frowned upon by many as well. Nonetheless, it has helped thousands and thousands of people who were unable to communicate previously, not even to share with their family what their favorite color was or favorite food was. My niece can write symphonies. She is a comprehensive genius. She has all sorts of talents that we would not know about at all were it not for rapid prompting method. So please check out halo-soma.org. Listen to episode 277 of the Our Lady of Fatima podcast and share these resources far and wide. Now let's pray for hope and for healing for those who are afflicted with non-speaking autism and for their families. Almighty and eternal God, healer of those who trust in you through the intercession of St. Raphael Archangel, hear my prayer for non-speakers and their families. In your tender mercy, restore them to spiritual and bodily health that they may give you thanks, praise your name, and proclaim your wondrous love to all. I ask this through Christ your Son, our Lord. Amen. By thy pure and immaculate conception, O Mary, obtain for me the conversion of Russia, Spain, Portugal, Europe, the United States of America, Canada, and the whole world. Act of Consecration to St. Joseph by St. Bernardine of Siena. O my beloved St. Joseph, adopt me as thy child. Take charge of my salvation. Watch over me day and night. Preserve me from the occasions of sin. Obtain for me purity of body. Through thy intercession with Jesus, grant me a spirit of sacrifice, humility, self-denial, burning love for Jesus in the blessed sacrament, and a sweet and tender love of Mary, my mother. St. Joseph, be with me living, be with me dying, and obtain for me a favorable judgment from Jesus, my merciful Savior. Amen. And now the three Hail Marys in honor of the immaculate purity of Our Lady of Fatima. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum, benedicta tu mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et honor mortis nostrae. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum, benedicta tuum mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et honor mortis nostrae. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum, benedicta tuum mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et honor mortis nostrae. Amen. And a Gloria Patri for a special intention. Gloria Patri et Filio et Spiritui Sancto, Sicuterat in principio et nunc et semper et in secula seculorum. Amen. Virgo potens, ora pro nobis. Sancti Joseph, terra daimonem, ora pro nobis. Sancti Raphael, archangeli, ora pro nobis. In nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Thank you very kindly, my friends for listening to episode 353 of the Our Lady of Fatima podcast. In your charity, please share Our Lady's podcast with everyone you know. Follow us on Twitter. The handle there is at Fatima Podcast. All the shows are archived there, and they're available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Podbean, just about any place you could listen to podcasts. Pray that rosary every single day, especially you dads and grandfathers. Lead your families in Our Lady's Psalter, and most importantly, please pray for the eternal salvation of all Catholic bishops. Goodbye, 
and God love you.